Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello, I'm Mina Rizuki and welcome to the Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, the North London Derby takes centre stage and is declared the greatest fixture in world football by Jamie Redknapp. Is he right? We shall have the final say. Elsewhere in the Premier League, it's another weekend of disappointing results for Man United and Chelsea. And we'll be discussing which former legend is faring better in charge of their clubs and where they go from here. Plus, the best of the action from the Premier League, Europe and, of course, Scottish football. Guess we can't forget about that, right, JJ? (laughs) Yes. Why is that so funny? (laughs) I have no idea why I just found that so funny. But um, I'm in the hosting chair. And don't worry, Tom Gibbs will be back. But uh, he's taken the week off. It's very important these days, isn't he? I know. Check that out. Days off here, there, everywhere. It's just me and you from the old guard. But we have uh, an interesting face back in. Obviously, as always, Sam Dean, our youth prodigy. An interesting face. That is how I've been trying to style myself in recent months. So an interesting face. I'm ple- pleased to be back. Thank you for having me. And of course, we have Alistair, but we like to call you Ali, right? Yeah, please, Ali. Only my mum calls me Alistair. So oh, really? Only, Is that yeah, only when she's angry? No, just the whole time. She still thinks I'm Alistair, but I'm definitely Ali. So please, Ali. Ali, and of course, we have JJ to discuss all types of tactics with us. I'm going to start with you, JJ. What is it about this derby, the North London derby, that is, that always allows it to deliver? The two teams are very good. And I don't know, it's weird because there's not really any players from North London that are in there apart from Harry Kane. Is he in North London? Yeah. He is? There we go. Harry Winks. So the, Harry Winks. So I've been proven wrong already. But the... Uh, Maitland Niles. <laughs> it is. Shut up. <laughs> Come on, Sam, another one, another one, another one. <laughs> well, I, I, I think they're just two good teams. And I think what's nice about this derby is that it lacks some of the venom you get in some other ones that spoils some of the play. But there's a real good um, like competitive aggression, I'll call it. So like, p- the players are going right into tackles to try and win things. But because it's a top-tier level of sport, um, it's a good standard of football. And it's... Just entertaining, right? It's just fun to watch. It always seems to change round in games. There's weird scorelines as well. They're, 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 they're two good teams, but they're also two flawed teams, I think. I think that's why this game's been so entertaining for the last few years. Because, as we know, Arsenal are great going forward, but horrific at the back sometimes. And Spurs always go there and think, yeah, we can beat them, we're better than them, we'll give them a go. And they really sort of push for them and try and expose Arsenal's weaknesses, which in turn leaves Spurs open and then goals happen and things happen and red cards happen. And then you combine that with all the sort of the atmosphere and the sort of cauldron of noise going around. I mean, yesterday the Emirates was genuinely like ringing. It was, you were it, there, right? Yeah, it was. It was genuinely loud, and it's. It's to be honest, it's not that often that I can say that about the Emirates. So, so it does. It does obviously affect the players, and they always say that you can feel it. And um, so I think basically, what good... you're saying is the mediocrity of these two teams is why it's so fun to. Yeah, watch. I think. That, I think their strengths were better. <laughs> I, I, largely, yeah, I think uh, their strengths and weaknesses sort of combine quite well to make it an open game. And it was interesting hearing. Jose Mourinho talk afterwards about the match, basically saying it was a heart attack waiting to happen for a manager. Like the game's completely gone out the window, and uh, I think that's quite a sort of good indictment of what kind of match this is. With two teams trying to win the game, and both with sort of obvious flaws and obvious strengths, and it sort of all comes together quite nicely. I also think they these are two teams that they're very good just behind the elite, and realistically, they're not going to win anything major anytime soon they're not going to win the league and so there's there's 
just the bragging rights are so massive between Tottenham and Arsenal fans. Like, the, that's probably why the stadium was so loud yesterday. The Arsenal fans are so desperate to win that match just so they can say, and Spurs equally, uh, just so they can say, yeah, but what happened in the last in the last game to Arsenal fans? You haven't won anything in ages. Tottenham fans saying, oh, we've finished above you for the last three years. It's just about bragging rights for these two at the moment. It's just massive. Do you think the players care that much? Mm. Do you think so? Yeah, they you feel think? it. They do. They always say that. They, they, they always say you can feel when that atmosphere is around you and it sort of transcends it sort of trans sort of transforms the match in a way, and like you saw, like the celebration when Aubameyang scored the equaliser in the second half, and like I've never seen him look so sort of like furiously pumped up by a goal it was, as it was that. The same in the four-two last year as well. Yeah, the the celebrations were mental. Yeah, you can feel. It. I mean, in the ground, it's as I say, your, your ears are ringing, the whole thing sort of shaking, and you can you can really feel it. There's no way the players don't get that too. Is there another? Are there many Arsenal matches where? The players get into like real kind of like scuffles. It seems to happen every time against Tottenham, but just the players just don't really. I don't know. Not not that they're not up for other games, but it does definitely affect them, doesn't it? Affect the the occasion gets to them. Definitely, I think they have some beef with Burnley, but <laughs> right, <laughs> but not to the same extent as yeah, Stoke. Uh, as the, maybe, yeah. yeah, Stoke. They don't like Stoke, but um, not to the same extent as, as Spurs. And yeah, there's always sort of scuffles and things kicking off, and Guendouzi trying to wrestle Deli Ali and, and that sort of thing. I wanted to ask you, JJ, because this was an interesting tactical battle in the sense that there wasn't much of a tactical battle. Uh, there was lots of open spaces. Uh, one assumes that maybe Arsenal are due to be better once uh, the likes of Tierney are back holding Bellerin. Um, do you think that's true? Do you think there was too much space? Why was there so much space? Where was the balance? Well, the problem Spurs have had in recent weeks is that they play very narrow and don't have any width and then they're wide forwards come inside and they're playing against teams who sit deep against them they can't create and Ericsson's not been playing so they've missed that kind of player. Arsenal are trying to work out what they are this season. They adapt to everyone they play against so they tweak it here and there. The first time he's played as uh, Unai Emery's played as his front three, the Pepe, Aubameyang and Lacazette trio was against Spurs. And uh, it was interesting that it's sort of similar to how Liverpool line up and it was a very narrow front three so generally if you play a 4-3-3 you'd have the two central well, the three central forwards the two wide ones would be in wide positions most of the time but the way he wanted to attack was to have those three through the middle and have the fullbacks get really high and wide to support so you still could, most teams attack with a, with five in the final third um, and doing that with the, the five sorry the two wide and the three in the middle but then behind them you had the, the three uh, very like kind of ball-winning midfielders. So you had Xhaka just making short passes and fouls, and you had uh, the other two just trying to win the ball and and protect the the, the defense. Because obviously if you've got three protecting a two, that helps if the fullbacks are are high and wide. But I'm not sure it quite worked because Spurs kind of figured them out quite early. They're, they sh- maybe didn't target Davinson Sanchez on the left as much as they could have done. I think he did he did actually okay, did okay. I did I always bow to JJ on tactical things, but I think from what I could see and from what Emery seemed to be saying to the players on the pitch, the issue was that you had obviously Torreira and Guendouzi to either side of Xhaka. So when Pepe was running off and doing his thing, Torreira was coming out to the right to cover him mm-hmm. and then Guendouzi was doing the same for Aubameyang. And that meant that Xhaka was on his own in the middle, which as anyone who's seen Arsenal at all in the last sort of three seasons <laughs> would, would tell you, that is a bad place to be um, because Xhaka is just, you know, I mean, Son was just walking past him with ease and he's just not, he needs someone next to him at all times, really. And because yeah. uh, he's not got the mobility to protect a defence. Well, that's why I thought it was a kind of a, meant to be, I think it was meant to be a block. And maybe it's something they've only worked on just quite recently and haven't quite figured out. Because it should be that um, the player that goes forward is the ball side player, to not to so much to cover the fullback space, but just to be there mm. in case of a, of a break. Because then you should have the other two, the other their side so one goes forward the other two are still there protecting the the, the, the back four but I, say, I think it must be something they need to work on in, in training a bit and develop because it makes perfect sense you look at Liverpool the way they do it so their midfielders are kind of box to box largely kind of ball winners like so you've got Fabinho who sits Fabinho sits as a six between the defence and midfield and, and links things there and then uh, Gini Wijnaldum will get box to box and say Henderson is sort of a ball winner I would say is what his, his role is and that's pretty much what Emery was going for in this game but they are far better drilled and have done it for far longer so that would make sense why it didn't work the way that Emery wants it to but I think once this front three gets things going that would be a way to do it What about the fullbacks, Annie? Um, the Spurs ones it just seems like you know Danny Rose, 
probably should have just uh, punted that uh, ball out before creating danger for himself and the rest of the team. I know that people don't want to obviously criticize him because, you know, there was a lot of movement after that. And But why didn't they address this fullback problem? Well, they in theory, they did. Um, and that was uh, just by getting rid of uh, Kieran Trippier, uh, who... I think every, everyone will agree it was time he moved on. It was a good deal to get rid of him. The idea was that Carl Walker-Peters would step up into the first team. Juan Foyth has had some experience playing at right back and those two would kind of compete for right back. The frustrating thing is that Carl Walker-Peters has been Tottenham's next right back for about four years now. Um, and he just should have spent one of these past few seasons on loan at another club. I don't know why on earth he wasn't on loan at, say, Bournemouth last season who needed a right back I think they got Nathaniel Klein in the end but he ended up out for the whole season injured Um, but a club like that why not get him some Premier League experience at another club instead he played three games got battered at Barcelona it was quite like a horrible thing to watch seeing him fall apart at Barcelona and now all of a sudden he's Tottenham's first choice right back competing with Juan Foyth who's a centre-back the other crazy thing is we've um, Tottenham have also got a twenty-four million pound right back on the bench yesterday, Serge Aurier, but he's a lost cause it seems. So it's just a bit of a crazy situation. Gone from having Kyle Walker and Danny Rose as the two fullbacks, providing so much attacking threat, so much pace and width, to two youngsters competing with not much Premier League experience. Danny Rose is not the player he once was. Injuries have uh, been a bit of an issue for him. Ben Davies, I don't know, uh, he's just never going to be the player that takes Tottenham to the next level. Um, so, yeah, it's quite quite frustrating. But I think with, obviously, Sessegnon to come through, Pochettino would probably argue that the fullback problem was addressed in the summer, but it looks right now that it hasn't been but addressed properly. But Sessegnon's not a, not a left-back for Pochettino, is he? Long-term, yeah. Really? Yeah. I can't imagine Pochettino saying, any problem was addressed this summer, given his mood over the last few weeks. Yeah. Although yeah. he did say yesterday that as of today, so Monday, the European deadline, once that passes, he says we're back. We're back drawing a line under the summer of, of turmoil and disunity. Why is he always so surprised? I mean, I feel like when he signed that contract, surely he knows what's the deal at Spurs and he knows how Daniel Levy operates. So I'm always a little bit shocked when he's so shocked and how things are. It can still be frustrating though, can't it? Mm. Um, I, I agree. He uh, shouldn't be surprised, but it is frustrating. But again, I suppose also with the right-back situation, I don't really know who you go out and buy. There was a limit to how much Tottenham could spend on a on a right-back. £20 million gets you a Kieran Trippier. We don't need an, a, another Kieran Trippier. Uh, so. We've had that one. You know, Atletico <laughs> seem to love him over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a, a good player, but... It was, time, it was time to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you seem really thrilled about that. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the rest of the Premier League. And I feel like it was, uh, this weekend was an ode to some good attacking players, some great strikers. And uh, we have to start off with obviously Aguero because uh, Manchester City obviously cruised past Brighton. I do love Brighton this year. And uh, Pep singled out Aguero for praise. Can he keep on scoring like this in is he the best striker we have in the league? That's tough. He might be. There's a few great players in the league who play up front. You've got Aubameyang, I think, is fantastic. And then I suppose you'd include like Sadio Mane in there as well. He's not a centre forward, technically. Harry Kane, yeah, he goes in there. But Aguero has consistently scored a stupid amount of goals over seasons. I should have checked this stat, but I, I, I don't have one. But he scored like over 20 goals only behind someone like it's like five times he's done it or something and only like this is a stupid stat basically he's really good and, and uh, on, a, on a par really statistically good. with players like Shearer and things like that for the amount he scores and to have done so consistently is great and he's definitely improved under Pep Guardiola uh, mostly off the ball and uh, where he presses and how he helps lead um, triggers for the way that Man City closed down other players and he didn't start the season either Is it Pep that made him better or is it the system that made him better? Well it's coaching because you can't make the system work unless you have coaching on the on the training ground to, to work with the team <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't start the season like he wasn't in the he didn't start against who was the first game they played? West Ham, West Ham yeah he didn't start and then he got into the team against Spurs I think yeah and then he played again against Bournemouth. So I wonder why, maybe it's just a little wake-up call he gets now and again from Guardiola. But his use was doing okay in this position. But he is, I mean, everyone agrees now, surely, that he is one of the best the Premier League's had. 
and he will absolutely keep it up all season long. And he does tend to go in little bursts and then get injured and then, go, then just, takes a while to get back into it. His technique, his intellect, I think he's one of the best in Europe. That finish in the top corner uh, on Saturday was outrageous. No, no backlift. No backlift whatsoever. Yeah. His legs are just mat- tree trunks, aren't they? <laughs> so powerful. Ah, oh, the jealousy. Of he's also got that very squat. <laughs> he's got that very squat body, the same as the Messi has, which is your legs are really... They're really short, but also really wide. Like his sort of his centre of gravity is really low. A bit like Hazard, a bit like Messi. Like he's being compressed. Like he's a compressed yeah, yeah. player. Yeah. It's all gone into his bum. <laughs> like that Evian bottle that you push. Sergio scored goals when he was at Argentina at 16 years old and he will die scoring goals, said Pep. What do you guys think about the injury to Laporte? Huge loss, right? Mm. Yeah, it's that. crazy. That, I mean, talk about Spurs not solving their right-back problem. City should have done something about their centre-backs, surely, to lose Vincent Kompany and not replace him in the summer. Um, well, they were looking at Maguire, weren't they? But well, yeah, they did want to pay the money that United. Well, that's fair enough. Stones, that's, that's fair enough. But he's not the only centre back there is. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they they've just got Otamendi. If I'm, they've got Stones. Stones. Stones is injured. Stones. And obviously Fernandinho came in and just yeah. like because he's quality, just slots straight in there and, and does a job. But you, yeah, against the top team, you wouldn't want Fernandinho there really. Not no. starting there. Laporte injury didn't look great, did it? So no. what if they end up going into the Champions League group stages with? Fernandinho playing at centre back's not not brilliant. I mean, they, could, they could do it though. I mean, I, I think they'd be okay. They've also got um, that young uh, centre back Spanish. Is it is it Eric Garcia? I think is yes. a centre back. Yeah, the youngster who again they want to bring through players from the youth academy. He's meant to be. He's been very highly tipped from uh, <laughs> my sources, football manager, and he uh, <laughs> <laughs> for a long time now. But he's no, been, he's highly he's been tipped as well. Yeah, and, and if they bought if they bought like Maguire or whatever for seventy million, which I mean. He's a good player, but it's stupid money. You could just turn with a bit of coaching. You can turn Garcia into someone who's worth 30, 40, and then the next year he's worth yeah, something stupid. I agree so. completely, but there's no way Pep Guardiola is going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're probably right, yeah. I, honest, I don't think Fernandinho's that bad, I mean, right, even, as a centre-back. Even he, the great Laporte suffers in, in, like in a one-on-one when they put him against, for example, uh, Son in the Champions League. And I just worry because he plays such an attacking style of football mm. that defensively, when you've got people like Fernandinho and it's a Champions League game and there's no Laporte, there's no you know other good... Otamendi's not the most calming uh, influence, influence, is he? He is. Otamendi, weirdly, is really high every year in things like um, passes and touches. I know because he's a centre-back, so he's always got the ball. But he he is always involved in play. He looks for the ball, doesn't hide. And uh, he is something of a leader on the pitch. And because City always have more of the ball, even in Champions League games, especially in the group stages... I think the more important thing for them is that they have they can have someone in the air who can clear away headers for crosses and stuff like that and and they've got um, uh, I've forgotten his name already the new midfielder who goes Rodri so they've got Rodri who's adds some height to to set pieces when they're defending those and they can play Walker can actually cover centre back as well that's what I was going to say I wonder if Walker maybe is the yeah. Yeah. they've got Jao Cancelo who's obviously right, barely sense. played and he's an exactly. extremely good fullback who costs lots of money and what's so, more important is they have oh, someone who can play know. the ball so if they put Fernandinho there it's sort of what he did with uh, Mascherano and Martinez uh, at Barca and Bayern mm. so it suits the kind of thing he'd be thinking I agree he didn't expect to lose Laporte for however long he's out for but uh, I mean it's a good thing that their Champions League group is not a is a, not a terribly difficult one and, and they're, they're, I think their Premier League runs actually quite uh, quite favourable as well uh, Norwich, Watford Everton, Wolves Palace Villa Southampton yeah. yes I'm correct. So, and it's like, <laughs> yes, see? <laughs> well, Liverpool, however, on the other hand, are looking rather tremendous. Mm. I don't think uh, anyone didn't imagine it. They started off the season really well. A lot of us thought that perhaps they might be feeling some of the pain of fatigue, but it uh, either hasn't kicked in yet or it won't, hopefully. Great work rate. Terrific understanding between the teammates and uh, the Sadio Mane tantrum. By the way, I just want to let you know that's in my script. Okay, so anyway. Uh, <laughs> Deflecting away from the hate. Oh, <laughs> nice and yes, early. I yeah. am. But tell me, what was that about? Sadio Mane is getting wound up because uh, Mo Salah doesn't pass to him in obvious opportunities to pass and instead goes for the shot. And he's done it a lot over the last two seasons. Um, there's an ex- so there's an example that he, he, and he uh, in the last game they're playing, rather than pass to Manny who is clearly in space about five ten yards to his left and has a tap in as long as he passes it, he uses him as a decoy and tries to tuck it inside to shoot in his right and is easily tackled. And uh, Manny got substituted and was absolutely furious 
because this has happened many times. They pointed out in match the day two last night, actually, that um, there's the I think the number is something like 47 chances created by Manny for Salah, and I think it's 23 for I really hope this is correct for, <laughs> by by, uh, by Salah for Manny. And they play they're playing together. There's uh, Manny has seven assists for Salah, and I think Salah has three or four. For my other way around, it's you know this seems like small numbers, but it should be far more because Manny is always in the right position to receive these passes, and uh, Salah doesn't pass. I mean, they have you'd see it a lot when you play fives and sevens, and there's some guy who thinks he's the boy, and then yeah. just won't pass, and then you start at some point you start going, well, do you know what? I'm not going to bother running up alongside you because I'm not going to get the ball off you. You just pass to him and let them go. And I wonder if that's starting to creep into Manny now. He's like, well, I don't want to. If I'm always here and I'm not getting the ball, it's so unrewarding. It's infuriating. And you'd be wound up, right? Do you think that's what it is, that he won't make the run anymore? Or do you think that he will no longer assist him? No, I think he's an absolutely fantastic footballer and will keep going every single time. But imagine the amount of effort it takes to sprint and like use yeah. that pace to get there every single time. And then yet again, he's not getting the ball. It just it would make you go nuts. Yeah, I agree. The, the thing uh, um, you should say is, if you kind of making the five-a-side comparison, if it was me and you playing and I kept not passing to <laughs> and you... And it is just like and you, that. And you, were, and, and you were getting annoyed, I would eventually... It would start playing uh, on my mind and I'd think, right, actually, I need to start passing to JJ because he's getting really annoyed about this. But Mo Salah doesn't need to think that, but he should just be good enough to know when he should and when he shouldn't. It's fair enough if he doesn't pass every time. Or like, yeah. may, maybe the, the one against Burnley was a really bad one but there are plenty of times when he should just go himself but he just needs to be able to his decision making at those times just needs is just like a little bit off exactly and that's what separates him from being in the very top tier of i think like world footballers so like things like messi and yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like messi or de Bruyne just know exactly when to make the pass and when the opportunity to shoot is and i think that i mean it just yeah it, it makes me angry thinking about it can we talk <laughs> briefly about roberto Firmino? that's what i wanted to say you... it was what a performance. You sound like Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> yeah, no, let's not talk about this. <laughs> yeah, deflect, deflect. Um, first Brazilian to reach 50 goals in the Premier League. And I would put forward that he is the best Brazilian player Whoa. to ever play in the Premier League. And I can't... Have you uh, got any other I've contenders? Got, the other contenders mm. would be Fernandinho, who's been very good for a long time. Yeah. Coutinho, who hit heights that I think were Too short. very high, but probably not long enough. And then... Gilberto Silva. What about uh, the Manchester City forward? Gabriel Jesus. Jesus. No. Robinho. Yeah. yeah. Ba- oh, Baptista. Wow. Baptista. <laughs> they've some really bad ones, haven't they? Yeah. I, I guess actually Gineo, David Luiz is Emerson. probably high up on the list. We're in danger of turning this podcast into a sporkle this quiz. Is fun. <laughs> oh, I this love sporkle. What do people want, JJ? Let's roll with it. Uh, but yeah, I think, honestly, I think Firmino is, is, I mean, obviously Mane and Salah get more headlines because they score goals and that's how headlines work. But he is just the most unbelievably good player yeah, I do think that players like these types of nines who do so much in the final third the way that they feed the others the way that they pull back their tactical intelligence just he's been amazing for Brazil he's been amazing for Liverpool and sometimes I always wonder why people don't name them as some of the best number nines in the world and I and I have this issue with Karim Benzema because I just look at him and I think wow you're so smart and then they just come up for all this criticism because they don't score as much as all the other players or whatever it is but it's it's what they do in the final third that's so effective and I just cannot imagine Liverpool without Firmino. There's some great stuff from Jurgen Klopp afterwards talking about when Jeannie Wijnaldum played in Firmino's position against Barcelona last year. I think Firmino was injured. Mm. And basically came off the pitch, Wijnaldum, and just turned to Firmino and said, how on earth do you do this? <laughs> like, what am I doing right now? And Firmino, you know, Wijnaldum's a really bright, versatile, sort of adaptable player. And he just like couldn't even begin to fathom how Firmino does it. So I think that's quite a good measure of how good he really is. Well, just a nod to Karim Benzema as well. Anyway, uh, moving on to Manchester United. Was anyone uh, really shocked by the fact that they drew again? No. Anyone shocked by Dan James being the goal scorer again? I think it's nice that he's the goal scorer again and it was some hit, like a rocket into the top corner. Um, Man United are worryingly average to the mm. point they... They, I mean, that squad came out and the, the first team lineup came out and the substitutes to bench and they're going, that's... That's like a team that finishes tenth with Pogba in it, and it's really With odd. Pogba. I don't think they've. I don't think Solskjaer's won a game away from home 
since he took charge, has he? No, he has. He went on he won the first mad game. winning oh, run. The first game. That was that he won the first game, that was against Cardiff. He won that winning he run, he won like he won loads in the road. But his list in his you know, at the end of last season, now the start of this season, the form has massively dipped I've off. Got so a you're good, definitely right. Good stat there. about that if you Ooh. guys want it. Tell us, um, tell us. So since February the twenty fourth, when United drew with Liverpool, they've kept only one clean sheet in their in fifteen Premier League games. That's the same number as Aston Villa and Sheffield United who obviously were only promoted uh, this season. Uh, in that time, Everton have kept 10 clean sheets. So that's nine more than United. It's just, I think, uh, as they showed against Chelsea in attack, they've got some really, really good players. They've got lots of talent. It's a matter of just getting them playing well together more consistently. But in defence, there's just something more fundamentally wrong than just being able to be solved by by signing Harry Maguire for £80 million. Pounds on Lindelof. There. Is he the fundamentally wrong thing? Well, I've got another. I've got some more stats. If you, <laughs> if you, want, if you want another excellent. another potential uh, potential answer, um, so I just think they put it, they're putting a square peg in a round hole by trying to make Scott Scott McTominay their defensive midfielder. Paul Pogba, we've seen time and again, can't do that job. He needs a defensive midfielder alongside him. When when United were kind of like their most defensively solid, I don't think they should go back to this because they were boring. But they had uh, Nemanja Matic playing there who was far better a defensive midfielder. So when you look at tackles per game by McTominay compared to other big six defensive midfielders, McTominay is making 1.5 per game, Fabinho 3.3, Rodri 4, Jorginho 2.8, even Guendouzi 2.3. He's just not a defensive midfielder and it just leaves the centre-backs too open. Um, and Harry Maguire is a good enough defender to make Manchester United much better, but I do think something something more fundamental needs to change with the way they're playing. Yeah, his entire is that, is team. That, is that tackling midfield thing not a indication of those other teams' press? Like Fabinho, Rodri, Guendouzi will play for teams that try and get opposition faces and try and win the ball, whereas United are quite, despite Solskjaer's attempts to make them a bit more high intensity, they still seem to me very... Sluggish mm. off the ball. I'm not sure it would because the press would then make the other team clear, is the, is the whole point, and then you win the ball in midfield. And Fernandinho would often be deep at halfway and wouldn't. Uh, so he, I think he breaks up play rather than is the one who wins the ball from the press, if that makes sense. Mm. I think the Man United, you saw it, like they took the lead. They don't manage the game very well. Pogba turned up and was half asleep, it seemed like. He was caught in possession so he many has, times. He has so many of these he games. Really Man, he's so frustrating because he's what a, what a great player he is, but he can't do it consistently and just not switched on. I totally agree with the McTominay point, and you think they have to play in a three. But then uh, it doesn't seem to work. He wants to play J- James wide right, and he's got Rashford through the middle. One Matt, I was... I thought completely quiet, but apparently created more chances than anyone before he got well, taken that off. That run that he made for Jan- Dan... It's amazing. It's just his intellect in the final third can be Well, Matt's movement is one of the things that makes him so good, but mm. he's not very quick anymore. So no, he, he he was never really quick before, even when he was at the mm. height of his brilliance. Uh, Man United are this sort of team that I think will finish in the top 10. They'll be good. They've got great players. So the great individual players will win them games and get them points. But this season looks a little to me almost like, you know when Leicester won the league? Because everyone else kind of had a bit of a nightmare mm. and fell apart. It's almost like below the top two, maybe Spurs is in, in third, There's, it's so open that it's like one of those seasons where there could be a, a change because there's not enough quality from and or consistency in the top teams. Chelsea are over the place. Man United, ugh, don't know. Wolves should be good. Leicester look really good. Everton should be able to come up. Um, Watford should really kind of sort themselves out. West Ham could get in there as well. Arsenal, I think, are quite decent but there's so many things that you get in there. It just needs one or two of those teams to take charge and you could totally change up a top five. Well, United's let's... next three fixtures, Leicester at home, West Ham away and Arsenal at home. Oh, difficult. I think that's quite a tricky run that, particularly Leicester at home. I think they might go there and Leicester might think, go there and really fancy themselves. Do you think there's any chance of them losing patience with Solskjaer? I just think they they love him so much. He, he's sort of... This is total speculation, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, he's sort of... Uh, What's the word? Sort of fireproofed himself in a similar way to Lampard is doing by focusing so much on the young players and by sort of saying we're trying to bring in a new cycle. You're buying yourself time by doing that. Um, I mean, obviously, people like up in the north, like James Ducker, will know far better than me, but I can't imagine them putting the trigger anytime soon. But equally, if they lose the next three games and suddenly they're in 16th, 17th, it's getting to a point where that combined with their end of the season last time around and Solskjaer's lack of managerial experience to fall back on. Alarm bells really would start ringing. 
Especially because, you know, when you consider the kind of club they are and how much they rely on sponsorship and their brand, I think that that would be a, a huge uh, own goal for them to keep them going if they keep losing games. But the thing is, though, like, so on that same note, you have to, all the, the teams that have come up and been amazing now, City not included because they bought a lot of good players. And then, I mean, they bought the right players, I would have said, that's why they are where they are. But look at how long Liverpool sort of floated about, you know, between like seventh and second for so long. Um they formed a team and worked with it and took it up and improved it every single time. Solskjaer still hasn't really got his team together to even start building towards what he wants. It's such a big job to try and turn them into something and the good way to do it is to get a core of players who care about the club and are from within the club um, and they're trying to bring through these youngsters. I know Ban Basaka and James aren't from there but they're trying to turn it into this unit which could develop into something which is far better, kind of, ma- I would say management-wise, than just dropping a few individual players in and hoping that they'll fit. Because you can form no, these I get bonds that, but the I pitch. think that there's a lot of, of an onus on, okay, you love the club, so you're going to be amazing for it. I don't necessarily think so. But they'd want to cultivate that culture, and that's what Ferguson had with his players. That's why he could drop in an occasional new signing, because the ethos was there. And you've got to create it, because they lost the whole boardroom, they lost a lot of these players that had that, and then they're trying to recreate it. And it, it, I mean, that's incredibly hard to do, and some of the best managers in the world couldn't possibly do it. And yep. you put any manager into that Man United team, and they'd probably finish, you know, not up the top of the table, the very top. So I think that's difficult. But I think you saw the kind of things that, like, Mourinho, when he bought Victor Lindelof, so I think, I'm sure it was uh, Mourinho that bought him. It was 2017 he signed. Um, He came in, didn't play for a while. uh, He got dropped into Huddersfield's game because Jones got injured and he was at fault for two goals and they were bits of terrible 1v1 defending where he showed too much to Tom Ince, then showed him the other side and they, they ended up scoring. And the second goal that they conceded was a long punt from the goalkeeper. Lindelof had all the time in the world to read the, read the ball drop in and then tried to hit it back to his own goalkeeper. Totally made a mess of it and it went back. And you saw on the weekend that Lindelof not taking responsibility for uh, Yannick Vestergaard just behind him, who, by the way, was the best player on the pitch. Mm. Um, absolutely... Like, proper dominant centre-back performance and that's the kind of thing that Man United need Maguire is pointing to look after the the player behind him and uh, Real Ferdinand pointed this out in, in, on the on BT Sport it wasn't talking to him and, uh, and then uh, Lindelof points as well as though someone else should do it but it's his job because he's the other centre-back Maguire's in the right position at the near post to defend it and uh, these kind of things this is what they're trying to create at Man United I think is this ethos where they they do take responsibility for things like that because the only way you're going to win games is by having that extra aggressiveness and competitiveness that'll take them to another level. Okay, let's rattle through the rest of the games because we've got about three minutes before we have to move on. Uh, right, defence, poor showings in defence and we have to speak about Chelsea. Mm. So do you think that this is something that Lampard can resolve? Uh, I think it's interesting, in particular, lots of talk today about Cesar Azpilicueta and his role in this back four. I mean, he's sort of now the... I mean, he's been such a good player for so long that it feels sort of cruel to criticise him, but he was clearly targeted by Sheffield United this weekend. Mm. It was at fault. And Norwich the week before. And Norwich the week before. And he's clearly um, not in keeping with the rest of the team's sort of youth and energetic approach. And you do wonder, Rhys James is is there. He's had a great season on loan last year and he's clearly a good talent. And you wonder whether a time might come where Lampard's Basically, it goes even younger with the team. This week, he brought Tamori in, and it was, I think it was Chelsea's youngest ever Premier League team. Whether he goes sort of all eggs in that basket and, and drops Aspilicueta, who's obviously been great and is, is generally very reliable, but uh, that would be a concern for them, as well as the fact they remain so open. Like they've been, it's remarkable how open yeah. they've been this season. The inability and, to sort of become a compact side once they lose possession. I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with Lampard wanting to play a, a young team. I think the the problem is that there's been too much change too fast, uh, and in the Premier League that gets punished. Um, Absolutely, Tamori and Zuma could well be a good centre back pairing, but you've also got Emerson who didn't play quite so much last no, season I think um, and then obviously with Azpilicueta's form going off um, going down the pan it's a, it's just yeah it's too much for too soon Leicester had some moments of terrible defending but then they've got Jamie Vardy and just a terrific number nine again is he just someone that's going to continue being brilliant even though he's 32 I mean he suddenly became very 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 fast all of a sudden midway through his 20s so <laughs> Who knows what he's possible of? Red Bull. (laughs) Can they realistically be one of the sides that pushes for top six? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Leicester 
brilliant. <laughs> Brendan Rodgers is a great manager. Yeah, and, and the logic of getting him in early before the summer is sort of becoming more and more obvious with each week. And you look at that team now, and it's so strong throughout. And even uh, Kaglastoyunchu, who I, forgive me if I pronounce that terribly, who's come in and replaced Harry Maguire. And he's been brilliant for this start of the season. And they've got a midfield there with, with Tielemans, who... At forty million pounds, it's an absolute steal. Like, I can't believe no one else came in for him, and that Leicester be able to basically get sign him unopposed with Madison in there. And Didi seems to be going from strength to strength. Um, Hamza Chowdhury is a really sort of combative, physical player, and then up front, obviously Vardy's doing the business. The, the only thing I don't get about Leicester is why they signed Iose Perez. Like I just don't really see it with him. I never really have. He had a good like month last season, and that's pretty much it for his entire time in Newcastle. Their and they've got Harvey are, Baines. Their fullbacks are really good as well. I think Chilwell's brilliant. Chil- and Pereira. Mm. Ricardo. Just... Have you noticed how beautiful Callum Wilson is? Like in his face. I was just watching him do his interview after the match. <laughs> He's and I a thought, very good looking man. I've never seen someone with such a clear <laughs> face. But anyway, what about Everton? Uh, they've won their last six at home in the Premier League. And Marco Silva seems to be finally getting it right there. They're just so inconsistent though. Yeah. They lost to Aston Villa last week. Mm. Just they're really good signing... Uh, Moise Ken, correct mm-hmm. pronunciation? Yes, yeah. Um, seems like a really good shout. Um, they needed to improve on Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I also think replacing Bernard's, pro- Bernard's very good, but he, his end product's absolutely atrocious. Um, so the the famous, yeah. <laughs> yeah. famous oh, end it product it delivery. Sp- <laughs> Wobbe was scored. great. He scored. He two, and two in two games. Exactly. I um, know. So, um, they, they did need to improve in those areas, and they have, and their defence, as I mentioned earlier, seems really good, but they still just, there's something just not quite right. They're still... They're really they're, boring, they're, do you think? Like, they're really boring to watch. That Wolves game was terrible. For, like, the first 10 minutes was great. Really? Yeah, I, no. thought, it was, I thought it was really boring. 3-2. Yeah, the, more do you want? Three, yeah. two, red card. Apart from, this sounds so stupid, saves. but apart from the goals, honestly, <laughs> I thought it was goals. really boring. Oh, I man, after my great. own heart. AJ prefers a tactical nil-nil. I do yes, not. because that's the right way to play football. I, I, I don't agree they're boring. I just think they are inconsistent. Um, and so I think if you were to ask, you're not asking me, but if you were to ask me uh, whether Leicester or Everton are more likely to break into the top six, I would say Leicester. Hello podcast listeners, my name's Danny Boyle and I'm the Telegraph's Commuter Editions Editor, which means it's my job to provide you with great journalism that makes your journey to and from work as enjoyable as possible. I can't prevent train delays or guarantee you won't get caught in the rain, but I can make sure you're up to date with the best of the Telegraph every morning and evening. And I just wanted to let you know about one of the ways you can get all that in audio form. All you need to do is join my WhatsApp group. Every weekday, my colleague Chris Price and I bring you short audio briefings directly to your smartphone at eight in the morning and half past five in the afternoon. And the best bit is completely free to sign up and easy. Just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. I look forward to having you as a group member soon. If you were just to end it here, please, if Aston Villa, you know, should they feel really aggrieved at the moment? Oh, I think that's genuinely one of the worst decisions I've ever seen in the Premier League. It's just hideous, really? isn't it's it? It's just disgusting. <laughs> like, just let like, it go so and I, let it go to VAR. What, right? to, be, to be clear, what happened? So I, I, they scored a goal and the referee pulled it back. No, no, no. So Grealish charged through did his Grealish thing sort of went through two or three players and then he passes the ball off to Lansbury was it Lansbury who scored? yeah yeah to Lansbury who scores good but finish just after he's passed the ball off he he sort of he sort of falls as he passes the ball and you're allowed to go on the floor you're allowed to do that you're allowed to fall over after you pass the ball because clearly he was off balance a bit or whatever. and he's passing to his teammate so passing I think, to his teammate I, I think yes terrible decision one tiny thing um, which I hope I don't get slated for. Um, <laughs> I think Grealish, there's a tiny, 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 even if it's just uh, sort of preempting a bit of impact, there's a tiny twist in his turn as if he's like, which in, in the replays make it look a little bit like he's ready to fall. Mm. And that just gives the referee a, a decision. decision so he's to make a bit dramatically. A tiny, tiny, tiny bit. And like, I don't think it, I, I think it was a, it should have been a goal. It it was a penalty. It was a foul. Um, so if he was going to call it back and uh, do something, then it should have been a penalty rather than a disallowed goal. But I just think Grealish didn't help himself with that tiny little. But he pulled it back for for a disallowed goal to give him a free no, kick. No, no, he blew the whistle for a dive. immediately. Yeah. So after before, Jack Grealish fell, see, so I've, before I've, the ball went in the net, and that yeah. was a problem because that meant that VAR couldn't go back and say 
This is the, that's the weird part with the VAR thing. So you think if he wasn't sure, you could let it run and you could go. Exactly. But that's exactly. not part of that's it. That's what he should have done. I've watched that that like the foul or the dive about twenty times, just in on repeat. And every time, I think a little bit differently about it. I think at full speed, I think it looks like. Jack Grealish is looking for a free kick and throws himself to the group. Not throws, but tactically falls. Uh, and he does this a lot in games where he throws his back to someone because he knows the contact's coming and he goes down and he wins free kicks all of the time. And he got done a couple of times, I think it was a few weeks, a couple of weeks ago, when uh, he got, the, the, I can't remember who he was playing against, but he did it, the referee didn't buy it, uh, the other team stole the ball and ended up scoring. Spurs, 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 yeah. Spurs there Game we go. Um, and I think that, is, maybe his reputation precedes him and the referee sees him doing that same thing again in the, the closing, well, not closing, but, you know, the uh, important stage of the game. And uh, I can see why it should stop. You're allowed to well. fall over as you oh, pass Okay, let's move on to yeah. England. We're going to be here all day. Okay. Any surprise inclusions or omissions from the England squad? We know, obviously, they face uh, not too many tough teams, but Bulgaria could uh, prove it. a bit of a test. So who were you surprised by Southgate, including and... Uh, not including. I think Carl Walker being left out was the obvious uh, sort of yeah, high profile. Yeah, but they have so much mission. talent at right back, right? Still. Yeah, I think I think if it, if this was against Spain and Germany, I think Walker would be in that team. But I think it makes sense to try some of the younger guys out, particularly Juan Bissaka, who's obviously started quite well, not brilliantly, but started quite well at Man United. So he was the one. I also find it quite amusing how Fabian Delph was in the England squad. For, but felt like a long, long time despite never playing for City. <laughs> and now he's actually started playing really well for Everton. He's fallen out of the England squad. But again, I think that's because Oxley Chamberlain's come in and he is, is the idea of is the idea of Delph better than actual Delph? <laughs> <laughs> the concept, yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah, Oxley Chamberlain back into full fitness, well, slowly. And uh, obviously, he was a big part of that team before he got injured. So I can see the logic there. But I do feel a bit for Delph. Do you think uh, Lingard still warrants a place in that side? Yeah, I think Lingard's a good player. I think he's maybe not um, top-tier elite, but he gives you lots of options. Seems like a nice lad. And uh, he does score <laughs> and assist now and again. He's, I mean, No, he doesn't. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He never scores. He, he never, never assists. Scores never, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. I mean, What's going on with your stats today? I don't know. <laughs> I, th- I like Lingard. I think he's a decent enough player. I, I think he's good enough for, like in Premier League terms, a team in the top 10. Um, I think he's a squad player at a top four. Uh, England, I think that's pretty much what England are. They're they're not one of the best teams in the world. They're sort of maybe top ten, top twelve ish. Yeah, I think with like, Lingard, he's now he's now an England squad player rather than an England starter. Mm. If, for me, I think yeah. he he he's he's just on the cusp, maybe one of the sub first subs. So what's Kieran Tripp here? Uh, in the bin. He listens every week. I don't hate him. I don't hate him that much. Uh, he's he's now somehow he's in an so England squad. In he's his fourth choice England right back. Right. Well, is that wrong? Is I've that wrong? got a lot of time for Trippier going Me out too. to Atletico Madrid, and he started really well there in a completely different style of team, different. Culture. Really understands Morata. Delivers for him perfectly. Yeah, and his delivery has always been good. Mm. It's, it's the other stuff that's been a problem, and there was obviously. It was no coincidence that his best performances for England came as a wing back rather than a right back when he was had Ed Walker behind him. But um, but I, I, I can't see how he gets in ahead of Alexander Arnold because whose delivery is he, equally good. It's wonderful, and, and yeah. he offers probably a bit more mm, defensive all round. Um, yeah. It sounds like Southgate just wants to make sure that he knows he's still his pal, so he's inviting <laughs> him in to make to let him. To, it's like, I think he said, um, "We're just letting him know that we're still thinking of him." Yeah, and uh, that's why yeah. he's in the squad. Well, so he should be rewarded for going. I'm, he's I'm playing. He played for Atletico Madrid, who are one of the best teams in Europe, and exactly. he's a starting right back, and he's exactly. doing really well. I mean, there's every, <laughs> It would. It, we would be in any other country. They think it's weird that he's not in the team, but we've obviously got so many right backs that it's just the, the sort of weird it's modern a way. Full of right backs. It is. It is. But I'm happy for Juan Bissaka. Do you think Bulgaria will uh, provide a, a good test? No. Not really. Right. I love how much <laughs> faith you have in those teams. Now, JJ, this is. Uh, a Scottish roundup, and in that I'm going to ask you a solitary question. Celtic destroyed Rangers. Would you feel that that's an accurate way of uh, putting it? No, I don't think they destroyed them, but uh, they did them with a fairly basic counter-attack set up. Rangers are very good at passing the ball in their own half, um, but as we've seen from Steven Gerrard's team all this season, uh, they don't seem to really know how to create. He spent a lot of money, a lot of wages on some big players, and None of them seem to be turning up like uh, Aribo started. Joe Aribo started in this game and was totally out of it. Just couldn't get involved in the play. He was out 
he's playing like a 4-3-2-1. So it's a very narrow shape with no width. The hope would be that Tavernier, who plays at right back, can get forward and give them some width. But Celtic were just waiting to launch counter-attacks in there and had Mikey Johnson on the left, who's very good with the ball. Rangers this season have scored most of their goals from like set pieces. They mm-hmm. put, I think it was they put six or seven past, uh, past Hibs. But other than that, like they they beat Kamarnik narrowly with two goals from corners. They only managed to beat St Mirren because of a free kick from twenty five yards. I don't know if Steven Gerrard's quite got a plan on how to create things in the opposition half. I don't know whether that's because his way of uh, working with them on the training ground or what he wants from them doesn't allow for. For that kind of play, like a lot of their forward players just chipping the ball towards someone, but you've got Jermaine Defoe up front, or like Morelos was on the bench, and he's the one for breaking behind the lines and doing stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's this is Gerard's big year, and Rangers have to get close to Celtic. You can't write them off in the, in the title race um, this season just yet either. But I think Celtic showed that they were far and away and above. I mean, there are more teams in Scotland. <laughs> just, uh, I know, I know. Yeah, that, it's, it's that an interesting game. league this year actually because like. Um, there's a few teams that Hearts and Hibs should really be pushing Rangers and Celtic for not pushing them for a title race but you've got Hibs, Hearts, Aberdeen you'd think should be in amongst it Hearts and Hibs have started terribly uh, really really awful there might be managerial changes at both coming up Motherwell are kind of a surprise Livingston have started uh, surprisingly well Kilmarnock have fallen away a bit from last season they finished third last season which is a bit of a surprise and they've got an ex Antonio Conte's ex assistant manager I know it's as their manager Angelo Alessio he's done okay um, you'd hope with Rangers and Celtic both qualifying for Europa League that they'll win a few of those games and it helps the glorious coefficient try and restore some sort of semblance of pride back to Scottish football but I mean I swear it is a good league it's really Aww. fun <laughs> but it's not as exciting as Europe well that get that derby um, not as good yesterday as the North London derby but if you want a, if you wanted to watch one game for the rest of your life Rangers Celtic oh would, my God. wouldn't be a Ali, bad I have so many come on. to just come back for it's I always exciting it's the derby it's exciting, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, Lazio Roma is a better derby and that I, was over the weekend I'm, I, we're, we're coming to that I think but um, <laughs> I, I, well, I, if you'd give me a chance <laughs> but that, that, that game was terrible quality but it's exciting isn't it it's always exciting yeah, but then this is the thing. It, it's a it's a bubble, and I think a lot of people down in England, especially, seem to think that that's still the thing. And I, up in Scotland, other than people who live in the West Coast, and it is a bubble, honestly, uh, like don't care. Like I don't care about Rangers and Celtic. Honestly, if it if it went away, great, it'd be amazing. Huh. All the nonsense comes along with it. Huh, Alicey? Right. No one cares. <laughs> Not even Scottish people care. <laughs> Right, it's my moment now. <laughs> it's a song for Europe. Uh, we sadly have now a minute and a half to go through this. Um, but it's also the section where I end up talking to myself because today I'm the host and I'm the one who responds to my own questions. So we start off with Juventus and Napoli, which was the big game in Serie A. I don't know if any of you care about that. But this was just one of those amazing games. I mean, if you wanted to see bad defending, it was astonishing because Juventus were criticised for not starting Matthias de Ligt, who was obviously the most expensive centre-back that they've ever bought uh, last week. And that was because Sadi wasn't on the bench and they didn't want to throw him in the deep end. Now, Kilini's out with ACL. They had to throw him in the deep end. And he was at fault for basically uh, everything. And uh, <laughs> That's very harsh. <laughs> you, no, I mean, you have to feel sorry for him because I just feel like he just it's a different league. It's a different way of defending. And he was really thrown in there and he wasn't really aided by the by uh, the rest of his teammates. You really feel Kilini's absence when he's not there. So this was a game where Juventus uh, went through to 3-0 and then Napoli came back in 16 minutes, made it 3-3. And sadly for them, the probably the best centre-back in the league in Koulibaly scored an own goal to make it 4-3 for Juventus. And it was really sweet because Kilini hobbled over at the end of the game and just consoled Koulibaly for scoring that own goal and giving all the points to Juventus. Then, of course, there was the Rome derby. Now, that's a great derby. Um, this was a fantastic game between two sides that were just <gasps> so good going forward but sadly not very good at scoring so they hit the woodwork between them I think six times four for Lazio twice for Roma one one in the end but so much drama absolutely fantastic to watch please try to get uh, the reverse fixture and you have to watch that Meanwhile, Barcelona had uh, the youngest ever goal scorers come on for them and make an instant impact. Ansu Fati, he's 16 years old. They were playing Osasuna. There was no Luis Suarez, there was no Dembele, and there was no Lionel Messi. But he got the equaliser after Osasuna went uh, and scored a goal. 
And uh, now he's very much the kid to watch. If you remember Ronaldinho, he's not too different. Really good at getting past this man. Just terrific delivery. Such a good head on his shoulders. A, a wonderful player. So watch does out he, for him. Does he play in the same position? Remember the name. Winger. Winger. Mm-hmm. Is he? Was he fast? Likes to dribble inside. Likes to. Yeah, absolutely. So fast. So good at getting past his man. Doesn't feel the pressure of the situation or, or or anything that's around him. So devoted to his football, and he makes you feel that. You know, you when you have that smile on your face when you watch Ronaldo, you you kind of get the same. <laughs> um, he's just such a good kid. And of course, the biggest game that happened over the weekend was Union Berlin against Dortmund because they defeated them three one to get their first victory in the Bundesliga. I'm sure you've heard a lot about Union. Berlin. Um, they're aside uh, only the fifth former East German club to reach the Bundesliga. And this was a this is a team that's just been so well managed financially, um, on the pitch, off the pitch. Their their fans contributing labor and money to help modernize the stadium in 2008. They're now obviously in the Bundesliga after working so hard to get there. And of course, their first win came against Lucien Favre's Dortmund. They scored a goal, Dortmund came back, and then they got two more. Uh, as uh, as Dortmund started pouring men forward, they left spaces, and it was just a fantastic game. But that's all we have from Europe. No time for a song for Gareth Bale. Last night, two goals. Yes, fantastic. Two good goals. He did two goals. Huh? And a red card. And a red card. It was wow. A, it was a harsh red card. That's the I best hat trick you can get. <laughs> <laughs> two goals, he's back. He is. Yeah. He's, he's never gone away, but I'm uh, I'm glad that... Uh, it's nice to see him doing well, though, it isn't is it? It is nice. And Everyone's it's nice that Zidane is playing it. him and giving him that chance. It is. It means he won't be moving today because obviously we're recording this on a Monday. Uh, mm. And the transfer deadline window for yeah, for European hasn't closes. been sold in the time since we started yeah. this. Yeah. Well, Scottish Premiership, you know. If <laughs> you're listening, well, Gareth, let's see. Hopefully, now tonight uh, we can finally see uh, Pochettino having a good night's sleep and uh, potentially Cadu reaching PSG. Okay, that's it from us. We'll be back next Monday. Contact the podcast, afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk and we'll read out the best of what you send us. To subscribe to the podcast, search for Telegraph Audio Football Club. Thank you and bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.